electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Markets down and desperate to regain our summer rally, and the Fed bracing for a meeting in Wyoming. I think they were always hawkish. The professional optimist that is the market just decided for for two months, I'm looking the other way. It's another nail-biter week for investors. Morgan Stanley CIO, Mike Wilson. And the markets are doing a really good job of testing everyone, um, but I still believe we're in the midst of a bear market. Plus, Elon Musk subpoenas Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, 10 million views for HBO's Game of Thrones prequel, and we're heading to China, where interest rates are cut again and tensions with the CCP are high again. Our Beijing bureau chief, Yunus Yun. I think what we are seeing is that the definition of what is acceptable is the the Communist Party's definition of what is Chinese. The politics at play and the path ahead for China's President Xi Jinping. Analyst DeWardrick McNeil. But popularity, as you know, does not equal power for Xi. Xi is, is pretty all-powerful regardless of how popular he may be in China. It's Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, you Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today, but uh, nice to see you, sir. We got a lot to talk about because boy was yesterday a wild ride and I saw you, Mr. Kernan, yeah. on Fast Money. I needed to close the parentheses on, on that, that entire day. Hey, I'm back. You know, I'm back. Two weeks off, rested. I, I might as well do it, right? They asked me. I, I, I might as well. I'm going to do it again tonight. It is. A full it, day's it, worth of work. Markets are down. The real underperformer has been the composite index for the NASDAQ. And every S&P subsector is down today. And a lot of this has to do with some of the fears, concerns about interest rates, what's going to happen from the Fed. Let's look deep in the week to the Jackson Hole event. I think a lot of the Fed members are going to sound very hawkish because, quite frankly, inflation is everywhere. The Dow is going to go out around down 650 at the moment. The strong summer rally is in the process of ending. Maybe it did today. Right now on Fast Money, from summer surge to summer sell-off, the rally fizzling as the major averages post their worst day since June 16th. I'm Joe Kernan. Guys, come on, the jokes. In for (laughs) Melissa Lee, right at the top. In for Melissa Lee. Fun to see how it starts in the morning and ends at the end of the day. We started down in the red, but boy, did we end in the red. We'll talk a lot today about uh, Fed pivots, Fed puts. Fed this, fed that, core. Do we use core? I want to use core. I want to use core. That gets, gets, us, a couple of, <laughs> gets us a couple of points of breathing room, uh, Andrew, because if we're, you know, we're yep. down here at three, let's talk about the 10 year instead of Fed funds. You know, inflation's up somewhere at eight, three, eight. That's bad. Uh, we need to get that eight down, uh, get, get the other things up. That's what we're worried about. Meet somewhere in the middle. But if we do core, core's like maybe four or five, right? So if we could try yep. to get that down, and there is some, you know, there's some glimmers of hope, but not in Europe, not with natural gas. That scares me what kind of winter we're going to have. 
Um, but the Fed is, you know, Jackson Hole this week. Uh, they got much more hawkish, and that just came home to roost. I don't know what we were thinking. What, I, I, but I, I don't I, think they ever changed. I think they were always no. hawkish, and right. that the market, the professional optimist that is, that is the market, exactly. just decided for for two months. I'm looking the other way. Uh, no, we saw some. We saw inflation moderating. We did see that, and we saw commodities sort of yep. rolling over. So it was like, okay. Uh, you know, maybe the Fed eventually, maybe it's, it's not transitory, they won't use that word, but maybe it's not systemic for the next three years. Maybe it's, it's a supply chain, a combination of things, the Putin uh, price hike, as, as the uh, administration likes to call it. Maybe some of those things, and maybe we don't need to, you know, may, hopefully we don't need Fed funds, a terminal rate up near where uh, the CPI is. We'll never get there. Well, we could, but it'd be, it would be ugly. Uh, and then, yep. you know, you got guys like Larry Summers that you, it's funny because Republicans only talk about Larry Summers when he agrees with, with some yep. <laughs> with criticism of the administration. That's true. But That's even, true. Yeah, even he is saying that, that the Fed really can't uh, relax or take its eye off the ball at, at, for a while until we get this genie back in the bottle, which as we know is hard to do. People are really mad that I said that about uh, Teslas. There are charge. I'm not saying there's not charging stations. I'm just saying I didn't see any Teslas. I, I'm sorry. I, this I was see his comment yesterday yes. that when he was on I-95, not a lot right. of Teslas because no, you were on a long drive. Right. I and because no, and, and in contrast to where I live in northern New Jersey, where it feels like it's about 50 percent Tesla. Honestly, I, I mean, I, they, I cannot look at the car coming towards me without noticing that it's a that it's a Tesla. So there were a few, but I'm telling you, like less than not even close to one percent of the cars on the road. And we know that EVs are only how many EVs are on the road? Not that many. So the anomaly, I think, might be in, in the suburbs of around New York City. There's a lot more. But on the way down there, I'm just telling you, there are not a lot yep. of people on the long haul. Well, by mentioning Tesla, you you actually nice little opening for me for a segue to get to Elon Musk this morning, because we have some new developments, not in Tesla land, but Elon Musk land. And Tesla basically is funding, for better or worse, uh, the acquisition of Twitter for him in many ways. Uh, the news, though, Musk is now asking Jack Dorsey, co-founder and former Twitter CEO, for documents that could help support his legal fight to call off his bid to buy the company. Now, according to the subpoena, Musk's legal team is looking for information related to the number of spam accounts on the platform. Back in April, Jack Dorsey tweeted, quote, in principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter. It wants to be a public good at a protocol level, not a company. Solving for the problem of it being a company, however, Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. And of course, uh, now lots of questions about exactly what documents at some point Jack Dorsey may or may not have shared either with Elon or others or maybe not shared with Elon since he would have them. Uh, but whether they're in his possession, what kinds of conversations they might have had about spam bots. Clearly, Jack Dorsey encouraged him to buy this company. Um, and so it's sort of a, my friend, my enemy, my frenemy, what's happening here? And I think a lot of people are asking questions about what documents might come out of that. That's, um, I guess I remember that quote from April. 
mean, are these CEOs talking to one another? What the, 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 this, is the, this is the new type of CEO that we, I have to get used to. What, what was that again? At Elon, it's light a Light singular... of consciousness. The light of consciousness, but his Joe. mission is to extend the light of consciousness. See, that's not... Yes. That's not in a lot of job descriptions when you go in for an interview for, for CEO. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, is it? Do you know how to do that? Do we do that? I we mean, should try to do that. You know, we should strive to do that. I, I have it on my resume. I don't know about you. Is that like dying in the darkness? So if democracy oh, dies... Oh, it's too early. It's too early. It's no, but then if you extend the light, if you extend the light of consciousness, then you're illuminating the, the surrounding right. area, and then okay. the democracy might not die. I knew uh, you, you have always a way to bring it back. No, I'm just, you know, I just, I'm just commending the Washington Post for, for, for all they do. We've got some media news for you right now. Warner Brothers Discovery reporting nearly 10 million viewers. Watch the first episode of House of the Dragon on Sunday. That makes it the largest audience ever for a new original HBO series. The company says a Sunday night launch audience historically represents 20 to 40 percent of the show's total viewers. So you can start to extrapolate out potentially how many people are going to be watching this show and therefore uh, what it means for the company and the future of HBO. If they can find one of those water cooler hits, those true water cooler hits where everybody watches on a Sunday night, Joe, I, I'm dating myself with the water cooler thing. I know people now probably do it on Slack or over Zoom or something, but that, that's what right. you're going for if you can get it. I think we still need to, we, we can't retire that term yet. Uh, and a water cooler. We're going to talk to someone. Does anybody but, have a water cooler anymore, though? I mean, yeah, really? they're around at, at gyms and stuff. There's still some yeah, bubblers. I guess people, is Poland and, Springs and making guy. their money off of, of water coolers. Is that where the money is in the water and cooler business? And the delivery guys come and put a lot of them are. Uh, I think they're actually hooked up to the the, the water line now, and, you, and it cools the. You know, it's different. It's a little bit different. Not too many of those big bubblers uh, left anymore. Um, it, it costs money. How much money for this? Game of Thrones thing, a lot. And then in, in a slowdown, how many streaming services? So that shiny little object that seems so easy to, 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 to work is sure, now like not let's that say shiny. You're spending 50, let's say you're spending 15, 20 million dollars an episode, which I know sounds like a lot, and it is. Right. But if you, can, if you can collect 10 million eyeballs live, and that's only 20 to 40 percent of the audience. Yeah, you, you, you can make money doing that. Is that five million people that you're talking about or 10 million people? What are you talking about? It said 10 million eyeballs. I'm just wondering whether you're that's five million viewers or are you saying eyeballs are one person or, or oh, when you say 10 well, million? What do you it's early in the morning, Joe. It's I'm I've on, I'm on the first cup of coffee here. So you meant 10 million viewers, just to be clear, 10 million viewers, 20 million eyeballs. <laughs> We continue to track swings in meme stocks. Take a look at shares of AMC. They closed down more than 40% yesterday, but that's not really the whole story here. The value of the newly traded Ape shares, if you remember, these are these preferred shares, likely offset at least some of those losses for many shareholders. The Ape units began trading yesterday, this after being distributed to investors as a dividend. And Joe, you probably saw that just the, the number of halts along the way be up up 5%, off five, down 5%. Now, uh, Adam Aaron, the CEO, says if you basically add the price of the Ape share and then you add the price of the AMC share together, you basically get where we were uh, on Friday, but actually a little bit lower than where we were on Friday. And of course, the 
benefit of the ape share is the potential to be able to issue more of them and raise more money for the company. Right. And, you know, and that gets you with, within a range of where maybe what the stock is worth. And as we know, meme stocks, well, many of them are worth. Whatever it's yeah, worth. Yes. Yeah, meme stocks are worth anywhere from 10 to 700. So it gives you a much better idea about how to, right? I how, mean, how to, get how, there? How to apply yeah. fundamentals to, yeah. to where they trade. I don't like black cords. Uh, you don't have a white charging cord? Do these, these aren't like supercharging. Excuse me. Uh, join us now. Um, do they work? Does this one work? Have you ever had, Andrew, where the cord says it's wet and it will not charge your phone because it's wet? And the, the, the phone says, it, I cannot charge. No. Of, I've never seen that no, before. But, it, it tells you right here. I, you don't, you're, I like you're, the white on. supercharger. Um, you want a white, you want a white charger? I want here? a white supercharger because I've had these in the car. And I'm going to hand work. it to you through the screen. Do that. Plug, plug it in. This is. The, this I'm is giving you. This. I'm giving you. You're extending my light. You're extending and, my consciousness. And we can light. get that. We no, can get I'll it charged use this one. This is you. fun. I just think that the superchargers are. No, this doesn't even work, Mac. Nice work. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, a deeper dive into the markets. What's next after this week kicked off with a plummet? The chief investment officer at Morgan Stanley, Mike Wilson, joins us. I do think that a recession is still, you know, a 50-50 shot. It's not our base case. Earnings are going to be at risk either way. It's just magnitude of that risk. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one. His mic, here. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky is off today, back tomorrow, I think. Think so? I think so. Stocks had been enjoying a nice run up uh, since the June lows on June 16th when we were at about 3,600. Our next guest has been cautioning uh, that the bear market remains incomplete. Join us now, Mike Wilson, Chief Investment Officer, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist uh, for Morgan Stanley. Mike, when you were on um, a couple of, maybe last appearance or before then, one of your main concerns was, was recession risk. And we've had some data points since then, and, and I don't, we don't need to, to engage in a semantic argument about what constitutes a recession, back-to-back quarters. But you said if there were to be a full-blown recession, that 3,000 was even possible as the worst-case scenario on the S&P. 
It's, it, are we likely headed to a recession? And as a result, is 3,000 still a possibility on the S&P? Yeah, well, good morning, Joe. I, I mean, I do think that a recession is still, you know, a 50-50 shot. Uh, we're not, you know, it's not our base case. You know, it's not, we're not in the 80% camp like some others. Uh, but definitely the risk is elevated. I think our main point over the last couple of months has been that earnings are going to be at risk either way. It's just magnitude of that risk. And, you know, as we noted, you know, 35, 3600 sort of priced in that risk of a earnings recession without an economic one. So it's a, you know, it's a five to 7% decline in forward earnings estimates as opposed to something more severe like 15, 20% decline in earnings if there's an actual recession with layoffs and, you know, it's, it's a much uh, deeper affair uh, in terms of the slowdown. So we don't know the answer. I mean, nobody can tell the future, uh, but I will tell you this, that at 4,200, the risk reward in either outcome is poor. And, you know, we, you know, I don't know what time last time I was on this particular program, but we, you know, we suggested, you know, there could be a rally. We never thought we'd get to 4,300 to be honest, but you know, 4,000 was in the cards. That would be a, a typical range. So I think, look, I mean, the markets are doing a really good job of testing everyone. Um, but I still believe we're in the midst of a bear market. I don't think I don't think you can say the coast is clear, just like you can you can't say that, you know, a risk of recession is is a foregone conclusion. We're just we're in that unknown area. If you were just purely looking at at earnings with in an, a rising interest rate environment, and that's what threw us for a loop last week and this week because it it any type of Fed pivot uh, looks like we may have been overly optimistic, but in a rising interest rate environment, it, don't you have to worry about multiple contraction on the earnings that you just said were going to be not, uh, you know, not stellar? So then you got to apply a lower multiple too. So I don't even see how 3,500. I can see how you could get to below 3,500 based on that. And that's exactly right. So I mean, now at this point, you know, the the price is wrong too, right? So at least in June, the price was right at 15 and a half times. Uh, we thought we, that was always our target this year for PEs. We had a 30% decline in PEs. That's right in line with our, our forecast at the beginning of the year. But all of that, you know, PE degradation, Joe, has come through the interest rate channel and, you know, the Fed tightening. And, and that's, so that's be, in other words, it's before we've seen the earnings revisions that we think need to come. And now, though, you know, we got back to 18 times last week or 18.3 times. And that, that price is just not correct given the environment that we're in and the earnings are still too high. So, yeah, that, once again, that's how we look at risk reward. We always, whenever we make recommendations, okay, we're always thinking about the context of what's my upside and what's my downside. I think a lot of uh, folks, you know, say, hey, the market's up, I was right. Well, I mean, okay, that's fine. Or the market was down, I was right. But, you know, you got to understand how much risk you're assuming to do that. And and so look at 3,600, the risk reward was skewed more favorably to the upside. At 4,200, the risk is absolutely skewed more to the downside. Right. Even it, it I mean, that's in your business, it has a lot to do with that. You could be, you could be wrong about the ultimate direction or the or the duration, uh, but you could be right in terms of what do you, uh, in terms of risk reward. So you could end up saying, yeah, okay, so I missed that, but but I still think that I was correct in terms of of how it, the potential, which nobody knows, and if it's a 40-60, 50-50, you might want to stay defensive even if you were to miss the first 10 percent. So. Mike, do you ever go on on a gut feeling instead of you know always returning to, to uh, you know to fundamentals? Because on June 16th it was pretty negative, and and I, we didn't have a single strategist on who who said that there was any possibility that we had seen uh, the the lows, and that continued 
throughout the entire next six weeks. No one was willing to say that we had seen the lows. And I just thought it was due for a, a bounce, which I'm not convinced is only a bounce yet, even at this point. But do you ever just, just go on gut feelings? Just Everybody's just too negative. It doesn't matter what my fundamentals are. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, you know, remember, if we're acting as fiduciaries, which, you know, we have to, uh, that's our job to, you know, guide client assets, you, you can't stray too far from that, right? So in other words, you know, valuation is, is always your, your self-governing uh, kind of uh, measure of risk reward. What's the risk I'm assuming and, and what am I getting paid for that? And, and we pointed that out in June, okay? So we acknowledge that the market was oversold, everybody's bearish, including us. And, and so the risk, you know, was, was, was skewed, it was more favorable, it was more balanced at a minimum, but the reality was the equity risk premium never went up. So you weren't, still weren't getting paid to take that risk. And, and look, we're not in the business of day trading. We, you know, we have $4 trillion of assets we have to steward, so we can't, we can't flip it around that quickly. Um, but I think, absolutely, I mean, I think about the technicals, and I think about the sentiment positioning all the time. And, and so, you know, and on that note, let's just talk about that for a second. Right now, I would say, you know, a huge, uh, you know, part of the market has skewed more constructively now. Positioning is not as negative. Sentiment is definitely not as bearish. I mean, I would say the majority of people now are saying we won't take out the lows. So, you know, it's, it's more balanced again. And, and at this stage, look, all we've done this year is we've taken a more defensive position in our, in our portfolios. Our portfolio is up 2% this year, year to date. So we've done our job. We've, we've done it. We've served our clients well in that regard. And, and we're continuing to serve our clients in that regard. We're not always going to get it right, obviously, but we are going to get it right with the risk-reward argument. So you probably talked to your economists. I'm, I'm sure you have your own uh, ideas. Did the Fed overdo it to the extent that we are in for some really tough love, do you think? I mean, is, is that just, there's just no way around it that, that we're going to, they're going to have to stay tighter for longer than any of us would probably like and maybe take the economy slow it even more than, than many of us would, would like. Uh, the soft landing seems elusive or could be elusive at this point. Yeah, I mean, w- once again, Joe, I think even in the absence of a recession, the slowdown that we're feeling feels like a hard landing. Okay, when you go from 14% nominal GDP growth to something like five, okay, that's a hard landing and, and it'll have a negative impact on earnings. And look, the Fed's doing their job, okay? They they admitted their mistake, okay? They said, hey, we're big boys, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do the right thing now, and they they are tightening aggressively. This is the most aggressive Fed we've seen in my lifetime. So you know I don't think you can fault them for trying to pivot you know and get aggressive. I think people are being a little bit too hopeful and optimistic that they're gonna flip it around. So I don't know if they're gonna do 75 or 50 next month, but they're hiking. They're not loosening, and they're doing more QT, and they're gonna continue to do that until they get the result that they want or result that they want on inflation, uh, and and hopefully they can orchestrate. At least, you know, a, a modest recession or a slowdown that does, isn't a recession and layoffs don't have to go too high. That's their goal. But they know they got to slow it uh, because the inflation got out of the bag. What's the duration of all this, Mike? It, 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 how long does a bear typically last? What, where, it, it, direction's hard enough. I'm sorry to ask you. you. You're giving me directions. Now I want to ask you for, for duration. Is this over next year? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I mean look, the, nobody knows. Obviously, these things are all different time and price. Um, I think, you know, if you look over time, the median is 18 months for a recession. If I'm sorry, a bear market that includes a recession. Okay, so that would take you into next year. You also have to define when did the bear market start? Like some people would say it started in in January. That's when the S&P peaked. I would argue it started over a year ago when, you know, the high flyers really got hammered and the average stock kind of peaked. So my my base case right now is this this cycle is progressing faster than anything that we've seen in our careers. And, and, you know, you and I are about the same age. So, you know, it's about 30 years plus. And 
I would say that that's a differentiating feature. And what it means to me is that the end, the finishing move will be fast as well. And so I'm hopeful that it can be all be kind of finished by, you know, probably post the midterms, maybe sometime in the fourth quarter. Um, I think that's a good time frame to think about. But Joe, we can't be that, you know, arrogant to think that we can call it, you know, that, that tightly. All I can tell you this morning is the risk reward is poor from a valuation perspective and what we see from an earnings growth standpoint and so at this point, you know, we're not adding risk, that's for sure. We're probably curtailing some risk, and then we're going to try to manage it through the next two quarters. All right, Mike, thanks. You're, you, you're early 50s, the late 40s? What, where, where are you? At, oh, I'm like 34. Come on. What are you talking early about? Early to mid. Uh, I'm, on <laughs> Chat, I'm on Chatner time. So if he's 91, he yeah. basically has different, you know, he's still doing the amazing race, stuff like that. So he obviously isn't be- really, he's not really 91. He's like 71. So I don't think age has anything to do with anything. So I'm with you on that. Way. I'm totally right. with you on that, Joe. Young at heart. Right. That's my story. And, I, and I'm sticking to it. Stick, stick, stick it to it. And I'm sticking to it. Mike, thanks. Oh, we do got to get a new picture of you. Will you send us a new one? Did you see that picture? <laughs> I always say it's your high school picture. That's cheating. See, that's cheating. That what is cheating. Huh? You're saying I, I look younger now? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think you look. <laughs> Uh, better, cooler, more distinguished, and, and wizened, if, if that's Very anything. Nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. See you later. Coming up on Squawk Pod, China's economic stumbles as persistent COVID lockdowns have taken a toll on growth there, policy analyst Wardrick McNeil. This is a story about most people in China believing that pandemic control still supersedes economic growth and development. And all this as the country's leading Communist Party approaches a political reshuffle. It's putting some international businesses in the CCP crosshairs. Our own Eunice Yoon is in Beijing. And then American movies, which of course have been a longtime favorite of Chinese censors. On editing by party leaders. Who said that Hollywood now needs to show more respect for Chinese culture, customs, and sensibilities. That's all up next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. China, the world's second largest economy, is stumbling a bit this summer. Renewed COVID lockdowns in large cities, drought in the western part of the country, slower than expected GDP growth. It is all combined to two surprising interest rate cuts from the country's central bank. And this all comes as China is in the run-up to the 20th National Congress for the Communist Party that is coming in November. The event is expected to extend President Xi Jinping's power for an unusual third five-year term. Xi's grip is expected to continue an aggressive domestic policy, impacting the access of the Chinese people to international businesses. Here's Joe Kernan. China's heading for a political reshuffle this fall, and Eunice Yoon joins us. Uh, from Beijing with a look at what global business leaders 
uh, and investors need to know. Tell us, uh, Eunice, intriguing. Well, Joe, describing Taiwan as a country routinely gets businesses into trouble here, but it seems that the scope of sensitivities is expanding and now affecting more businesses. Uh, for example, the U.S. listed Chinese discount retailer Miniso, which promotes itself as a Japanese-style retailer, sort of like a Muji or a Uniqlo, has recently apologized for having taken a wrong path by hiring a Japanese designer. It's now pledged to change all of the signage for its 1900 stores and to export Chinese culture. Now, ethnically Korean businesses along the North Korean border are also changing their signs. Uh, they've been mandated by the authorities there to now minimize the Korean alphabet on their signs and to more prominently place Chinese characters. And then American movies, which of course have been a longtime favorite of Chinese censors, um, are also uh, getting a warning, a rare one, from top-level Chinese, a top-level Chinese Communist Party propaganda official who said that Hollywood now needs to show more respect for Chinese culture, customs, and sensibilities. And in fact, Universal's Minion movie uh, just got here into the theaters uh, with an alternative ending. Um, in uh, uh, the original, the, uh, the anti-thieves uh, kind of ride off together, but um, in the Chinese version, one of them ends up imprisoned for 20 years, and the other one goes back to his family and realizes that his best accomplishment is that he's raised three kids. So uh, the, the moral of the story there is that the police always win, or in the Chinese context, the police state always wins. My minions will save me. You like picking on little guys, huh? I am a master of Kung Fu. Wow. Uh, not surprising, but but still, <laughs> when you when you hear it, it's like wow. It's uh, that's a different uh, kind of a different mindset. It, it, for for a lot of things, Eunice, it, it seemed like business and trade relations were a, a little bit um, immune from maybe all the cultural pressures that you see. But one thing I think is kind of we should distinguish is no one, I don't think anyone ever wants to really be negative or pejorative about the Chinese people, but the CCP, for them to think that they're not going to be criticized for certain things that, that just are blatantly uh, beyond the pale, and I guess we just went off the air over there again, probably, but uh, it's weird, because you know, the, the difference between the CCP and, and China, and, and, and what we think of as, as China, yeah. so. Yeah, but I think what we are seeing is that the definition of what is acceptable is the, the Communist Party's definition of what is Chinese. So that is not <laughs> right, only right. culturally, but also in business. And one of the reasons why you even see, I think, the clampdown on Taiwan, because it's a different definition of what is Chinese that is not deemed as acceptable by Beijing. I'm trying to think of a corollary here, and I can't really, uh, I can't really, I hope we never have one here, uh, I, I guess, is, is, uh, is another, a corollary of what that would be like. And, and I'm sure that, you know, some, Hater, some U.S. hater will come up with something that we do over here. But uh, normally I, I, I like to think that 
Uh, it's not that way. Anyway, thanks, uh, Eunice. Uh, great story. See you. For more on the China economy and the impact on the global markets, I want to bring in uh, Duerdek uh, McNeil. He's the former Obama administration defense department, appoint, uh, department appointees, now Longview Global Managing Director and a CNBC contributor. Good morning to you. Uh, you just heard that report uh, and others. We're, we're all trying to figure out uh, the state of the, the Chinese economy and and I think more importantly, trying to figure out whatever problems they may be having, are they coming our way? Well, Andrew, good morning to you. Look, I think this has been one uh, heck of a summer for Xi Jinping. The economic problems uh, continue to mount. We've seen all sorts of things that they've tried, including two rate cuts. And we've seen about two and a half trillion dollars of special purpose bonds sent to try and get infrastructure uh, going. That hasn't worked. And I think largely, Andrew, this is a story about most people in China believing that pandemic control still supersedes economic growth and development. And until the government sends a clear sign about what they're prepared to do to ease some of the pandemic pressure, I think we're going to continue to see a sluggish uh, economy. So I'm not optimistic that what we've seen in terms of uh, monetary policy will do the trick. I think credit is plenty cheap. It's just sentiment and demand is sluggish. Uh, so I, I'm not optimistic uh, that we're going to see anything change politically or economically before we get to the 20th Party Congress. So I think a lot of people are but in that's a what I was going to ask. Is this just is this an issue of timing? Are you of the view that after the Party Congress, all of a sudden, you know, President Xi says, OK, I'm changing tact. Is that is everybody is that the conventional wisdom at this point? I, I wouldn't say it's the conventional wisdom. I do think that there's some real structural problems that she himself has created through some of his policy uh, proposals that he's pushed. I think things will become clearer. Let me be let me be clear. I think things will become clearer after the party Congress. I'm not sure that they'll get any better after the party Congress. Do you think that this policy makes him more popular or less popular, meaning if he were to lift some of the COVID restrictions and the like now, would that increase his popularity or would that diminish his popularity? Well, I certainly think it will help a, a lot of businesses and a lot of Chinese people who suffered under zero COVID. But I think popularity is one of those things that we have, um, we have to be concerned about it. She does not. But I think, yes, I assume it would increase his popularity. But popularity, as you know, does not equal power for Xi. She is, is pretty all-powerful, regardless of how popular he may be in China. Before we go, uh, just a little bit of speculation. Post-party Congress, so we're talking about, call it Christmas at this point. What are the other things you think he may or may not do when it comes to businesses, both Chinese and otherwise? Are, are there big things you think that are in the offing? Uh, I think that what we're likely to see, uh, Andrew, is, is more of Xi trying to regain control of Chinese markets and push China as a place to attract and that I think that's been lagging in a way that has hurt China. And I think she wants to signal that they're open for business. I'm not sure, particularly given the report that we just heard uh, from Eunice Yoon, that people will accept that or buy that. But I think you'll see more of an effort to say we're open for business. Okay. Uh, thank you so very, very much for joining us this morning. Look forward to talking again thank soon. Thank you, Andrew. Joe. Uh, See you tomorrow, my friend, yeah. and uh, make sure you join us tomorrow See you for tonight. our audience. See you tonight.
And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us anytime. We're at Squawk CNBC, and we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.